Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? I want to welcome all of you guys here today and those joining us online. And if you're new with us, we're in a series in the book of Romans. And we've been taking the last several weeks to just walk through this book of the Bible uh, and learn more about what Paul had to say to them. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans uh, chapter 8. Well, uh, Keith is our resident tech, like techie savvy guy. Like he would probably work for Apple if he didn't work for Thrive. Your campus pastor is a guy who just knows all the hacks of technology. So recently when um, I you know, began to lead this newbies group for Thrive uh, and do that, I told Keith, I said, here's what I need. I need to, you to help me go into my Gmail and get all the contacts in there and create a group and do all this and do all that. Um, I don't have that. I, he said, no, no, no. He said, that would be really, really hard if you did it that way. He says, I have an app for this. He has an app for everything, Right. Like everything. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not like an app guy. And you must say, well, you, you know, you look 22 years old, so you seem really young, and I'm sure you're really into technology. Well, I like technology to a point, but I love writing down to-do lists. I love writing down my grocery list. No, I do not want an app for it. I want to physically write it down. I want to physically carry a little piece of, a piece of paper. I'm becoming my dad slowly, but that's what I like. But Keith showed me an awesome way to be able to manage everything in a small group, like just in one app. It makes life so much easier. If it wasn't for him, I would have done it the hard way. And I want to talk to you today about how so many times in our lives, if we're followers of Jesus, we end up just doing it the hard way as followers of Christ instead of understanding the access and the, what I would say, apps that God has for us. Now, Paul addresses this in the book of Romans. And if I said before, this is Paul's, like, masterpiece of writing. When you look at all of Paul's letters, this is probably the longest letter that he has, but the most packed with theology. And if you could read one book of the uh, Bible that would teach you about Christian theology, it would be the letter to the church at Rome. And the reason that is that Paul had been in ministry for over 20 years now, traveling and, and teaching uh, to the Jews and Gentiles about justification by faith. And as you know, he was a, a, a Jewish lead teacher, one of the leaders of that. And so he had so much knowledge in there. And he wanted to get to the church at Rome. He wanted to travel there and preach to them physically. But at this point, for 20 years, he had not made it yet. I mean, he opens a letter up talking about how he was delayed and what happened and why, he, you know, he hasn't gotten there yet. And so he unloads his really long letter on his third missionary journey. He was there for three months in Corinth, hanging out, and writes this to them. And what he does in the, in the letter to the church at Rome, the main focus of this whole letter is that you are justified freely by the work of the finished uh, work of, of the cross of Christ. You don't have, you can't earn salvation and, you, and you, you haven't earned it. So he wants them to understand whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you are justified freely by grace. That's what the whole point is. But what he does after chapter five, a shift happens in Romans. He spends five chapters sharing with them how we are depraved and we're sinners by nature, whether you're Jew or Gentile, means Jew or non-Jew. And he shows them solution for it, that you're justified by grace but Romans 6, 7, or 8 are three chapters in the Bible that are absolutely important to Christian experience. Like before, he's talking about like, you know, you're justified freely, and it's kind of head knowledge, like, okay, I'm forgiven. And then Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul actually lets you into some pretty uh, transparent stuff in his life. 
As you heard last week in uh, Romans 7 and Andrew shared with us, is that Paul begins to share about the struggle of not only every believer has, but that he has personally. He says, man, the good stuff I want to do, I don't do. Like, like, and, and, the, and the stuff that I, want, that, that, that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So he's like, I, I want to do these good things. I want to have this good attitude. I want to represent Christ you know, correctly and glorify God. But he's like, I really want to do it, but I end up not doing it. And then the bad stuff I don't want to do, I end up doing that. Does anybody else feel like sometimes that's just how your Christian walk feels like? And Paul's just opening up to them. He even says, oh, the wretched man that I am. He does share about the free gift of Jesus and all that, but then he ends Romans 7. You'll never understand Romans 8 unless you understand Romans 7. He ends Romans 7 in in some despondence. He's just kind of like an A minor chord if you're a musician. He's like, but I still am a slave to sin. And you end that chapter thinking, okay, then what's the point then? Why did Christ come? And what Paul's doing there. He is showing them how he feels about his daily experience as a follower of Jesus. And Paul was probably one of the greatest Christians ever. So, like, you know, if he struggles, then we're going to struggle as well. So what Paul does is he shares the struggle in Romans 7, but he shares the solution in Romans 8. He shares the struggle in Romans 7 of all of us, but then he shows us the solution for our struggle. It's kind of like this. Before we jump into it, I want you to have this picture. You've been made a new creation through Christ, a brand new creature, brand new. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates your spirit. He makes you alive to the things of God, makes your spirit alive again, which is awesome. The problem is you still live in the old house. So you still walk on the creaky stairs and the, you know, the roof's still leaking. and you still So even though you're new and you're like, this is great, you still see all the things. You still have the, the same surroundings around you, meaning your daily life, the struggles you have. Your struggles do not go away once you become a, a believer. Like, like you aren't just magically, man, I'll never have any more problems again. There are some things at salvation that God will just, boom, take from you. And there's other things that will be a thorn in your flesh for your Christian experience. So how do we reconcile that? And I want you to to write this down today. Here's today's big idea because here's the truth. And here's what Romans 8 is all about is that the Holy Spirit creates a new realm for us to live in when we follow Christ. The Holy Spirit creates a new realm for us to live in when we follow Christ. It's not just words on a page, you've been forgiven, that's great. But now you live in actually in a whole new realm. And that's what Paul wants to share with them is the struggle in Romans 7, but the solution is the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, before I jump into that, uh, depending on your Christian experience, you may be either that, you know, where, where maybe you grew up or you got saved or it was, you know, the Holy Spirit was like, kind of like you didn't talk about him in church because you kind of treated him like the crazy uncle at the uh, family reunion. That if he got hold of the punch or the eggnog, he had no clue what was going to happen. And so you kind of like, you kind of like arm's distance, you know, <laughs> Holy Spirit's kind of weird. Don't, don't talk about that in church because I've been around, you know, I've, I've seen that before. I went to a church service, got kind of crazy and I just don't want to deal with that. And so one group thinks the Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit here, right? But then there's other groups who think 
it's the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And they're just out there, right? Like you've been to some of those churches and it's like, man, it was absolutely wild when I went. I didn't understand anything. And it was just, and, and so we kind of sometimes have this, you know, uh, out of balance thought of the Holy Spirit. I want to bring us into center today about the importance of understanding how the Spirit operates and what He's done for us so we don't live in a Romans 7 experience all the time. You now have a new realm, a new place that you could operate. And may I dare say this, it gives you an easier way to do the Christian walk because it's not all, all on you. You understand what the Holy Spirit has done for you. And so in Romans 8, Paul gives four truths of the Holy Spirit. And what, the, and what the Holy Spirit does for us and does in us at salvation, so we're not always living in that struggle, in despondence, and always just beating ourselves up. And so in Romans 8, 1, he starts off with the first truth is this. It's called the, the release of the Holy Spirit. That's the first truth. For this new realm you live in, it's called the release of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And, and, you know, in other worded versions, says there's now therefore. Remember what I told you about therefore? Therefore, it's therefore a reason. Why? Because Paul's connecting it to Romans 7. So now there's therefore no condemnation. Why is he saying that? Because you leave Romans 7 thinking, you're condemning yourself. You're beating yourself up. The good that I want to do, I don't do. Right? The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And Paul says, oh, let me convince you and talk to you about the release and what's happened to you. He says, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, watch this, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Notice here that he's using past tense, not future tense. You're not trying to get free. You're not trying to do this. He says the reality is that the Holy Spirit has released you from the power of sin that leads to death. And then also look next. In the next verse, he says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, meaning that you could never measure up by being good enough. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end, I love this, to sin's control over us. You've been freed. That's the release of the Holy Spirit by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. He wants to show you that you have been released from the old law. And the only way to have an old law released is a new law has to come into effect. Right? You just don't abolish laws and there's no law. I mean, think about right now with, with lawmakers, and they're always deciding things on Capitol Hill, and even you know, the General Assembly here in Richmond, they're always deciding things. The only way to get rid of an old law which was the old law was Romans 7, that you're dominated by the sinful nature, you're sinful creatures, you're destined to hell, you're always going to struggle, and sin has power over you. Paul says that now a new law has been put into effect, the law of the life-giving Spirit of God. He has released you and freed you from the old law, which was Romans 7, what Paul was sharing. He was sharing the experience and the struggle he has with the law. What does that mean? That means the law is when you see a standard, you realize you just cannot 
ever measure up to it, and you always feel like you're just not good enough. Paul says, man, the Holy Spirit has freed you from that. That's your experience. And when you look at this in Romans, uh, they're not just Romans 8, but all of Romans, it's always past tense. Many of us think, well, if I could just get free. It's past tense. God has already done it for you. That's why it's the finished work of the cross. And one of the things you have to realize is when you struggle with that old sinful nature, which we all struggle with, if you feel like you're alone today and isolated and nobody is struggling like you're struggling, that's a lie. Why? We said it before. We all have the sinful nature, the sarks, they call it, the flesh. He says you have to realize that it's, you, you need a greater revelation of the finished work of the cross of Christ, that it is finished. That was done. The old law has been done away with of you being controlled by a sinful nature, and now you're under a new law. And the second truth he shares as he continues in Romans chapter 8 is actually the realm of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 8. And he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think, look at that word think, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. Now that's not just, that's not just physical death that he's talking about, but it's, 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 it's death instead of life and peace. It's an erosion. It's a corrosion of our lives when you think about those things. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It did never obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. And what he is showing here is this. He's given you a juxtaposition of the new realm that you're in. He's showing that if you're controlled, if your mind, the way you think is controlled by the Spirit, you'll have life and peace. But if you're dominated by earthly and worldly things, that leads to that corrosion of life and peace. It's the opposite of life and peace. It's anxiety. It's death in relationships. It's death in, in cycles of addiction and struggles. And he's given you these two juxtaposition of realms that you'll live in here. And the word that he uses to show you kind of like how do you know where you're at and how, is the word think in mind. For those who think, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, their thought life, what does that mean? It means that when you're a follower of Jesus, that your thoughts, so this is where you live at, right, in your mind. Think about all the conversations you have in your mind daily. <laughs> think about all the things that go on in your mind. Think about all the worries, the anxieties that go on in your mind daily. What Paul is showing here, he's showing the realm that we have to live in is this, that everything we think about is filtered through the lens of the Holy Spirit. It's filtered through the lens of the Spirit, meaning we think about, as he said in Colossians, heavenly things. What does that mean, Kevin? Do I just think about heaven all day? No, that's not what that means. Here's what I mean. It means that you have a greater perspective and a different perspective than somebody who doesn't follow Jesus. If our thought life about, and, and the way we view suffering is the same as a non-believer, the way we view death is the same as a non-believer, then are we really in Christ, right? Are we really following Jesus? Everything we think about, relationships, money, 
all the things the world thinks about and worries about, we should be filtering that through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Saying, you, I know I'm going through suffering, but also know what God can do in this situation. I know maybe my marriage is struggling, but I also know that God can do the impossible. Like, that's the filter. You see the filter? When you're not living with a filter, you then go to anxiety. Okay, so I know my marriage is suffering, therefore I just need to go ahead and I just need to get a divorce. I'm struggling financially, and I'm always going to be that way, and it's never going to get any better. The believer doesn't think that way. A believer thinks, man, I, I know it's tough financially right now. I know I'm going through a season filter, but I know, but I know that my Heavenly Father is a provider. You see why? And see, when you filter your thoughts that way, that is life and peace. That's that you can put your head on the pillow at night and sleep well. It's when you've lost a loved one that knew Jesus, and yes, it hurts and we grieve, but we understand that they're not in a better place. They're in the best places we've said before. We understand eternity with God. We understand we're, we're not filtering it through the sinful nature. And what I want to encourage you is, as a believer, begin to filter all, the, all that anxiety you have, all those worries you have about your children, about your finances, about your health. Filter that through the lens of the Spirit. And when you do that, you will experience life and peace because the Holy Spirit just didn't come to free you from the old law. And you say, that's good and great. I'm glad that I'm freed from that. But He's given you a new realm to live in. You don't have to think like unbelievers think about things. You can filter it through the realm of the Holy Spirit. And the third truth that He gives is the reality of the Holy Spirit. The reality of the Holy Spirit. He says this, because at this point, they're probably wondering, I mean, I mean, think about this. As I just said that last point, you're probably thinking, man, I think a lot about earthly things, right? Wow, I don't know if I've ever filtered anything through the Spirit. Or there's some things you're not filtering through the Spirit, like, you know, your arguments and your offenses and unforgiveness, right? Like, like, like you're probably thinking that. And so Paul pauses and says, hey, but, 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 listen, 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 here's the reality. Here's the reality for you, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not. Yeah, you don't know me, Kevin, but this is what Paul is saying to the church at Rome. This is what he's saying to us today. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. That's the reality. He gives you life. And I love this in verse 11, and I want this to sink into you. We don't have a religion of rules that we follow and a list of edicts that we've got to just abide by. But this is the hack right here. This verse 11 is is what will make your life easier if this comes to a reality. He says this, the Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living with in you. He's not saying give life to your mortal bodies, you'll never die, but the Holy Spirit will breathe life into you, into every situation you have, and you have access of the power of God within you already. 
In verse 12, there's that therefore again. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. It means saying this, you ain't got to sin every chance you get. <laughs> you can take a break sometimes right from that. You have power over that. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And what Paul wants to get across to them here is the reality of the Holy Spirit. Not just the realm, and you can filter things through God's perspective and see it from a God perspective, right? Like Google earthing things from a God perspective. Not just that. But it's not just trying harder, trying to think about heavenly things harder, trying to filter through. He says you, he says realize you have the spirit of a living God inside of you. Friends, think about it. Now, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1 and was present at creation dwells inside of us. You don't have to keep doing it the hard way any longer. Amen? I mean, think about the same spirit that parted the Red Seas lives inside of us. You know, one of my friends who became an atheist and stopped following Jesus, um, and he's really big into philosophy and we talk a lot, his biggest point was this. And not that it's a justified point, because um, I think it's a, a little condemning of people. But he, sa he said this. He said, how is it that you Christians claim that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, but you can't live any different than I do? I'm not saying it's justified. But he had a good point. I don't think he's right, because his, his observation was, you really don't have the Spirit of God living in you. I just believe many of us don't really have the understanding that the Spirit of God lives in us. And some of us think we've got to live the same old way we've always lived, that we'll never overcome things, we'll never get better, and we live in that Romans 7 defeated mindset. And I want to encourage you. Here's what the reality is. Paul said the reality is the Spirit of God dwells in you. God's power is at work in you. And you may think, like, because, like, you know, when I got saved, I've told you this before, my struggle was I thought if I was, if I was a really good Christian, I got power-ups. It's like, you know, Mario, who, you know, if I got flower power. But if I wasn't a good Christian, remember I told you that I felt like I was like little Mario. If I prayed all week and fasted, then God just gave me a bunch of power-ups, and then I could really do what God wanted me to do. If I was a good Christian, did good things, you know, didn't get mad at anybody in traffic, and didn't have any bad conversations in my mind with people, because, you know, I do that, you don't. And so what Paul shares even with the church at Corinth is this. He's talking to the church at Corinth, who they were terrible, and I've shared this with you before, they were horrible. Like, like if you think you're having a rough day, they had to, like, say, hey, look, you know, don't have relations with your mother-in-law. That should be noted, right? Then he goes on to say, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know? He wasn't saying, now he realized now since you've done bad, it's not the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit living in you? When you come to salvation, God comes to take up, amen, residence inside of you. That's beautiful to give you power over that Romans 7 life. You don't have to keep living in the struggle. God has given a solution. 
And then finally, here's what he does here for those who are struggling and thinking about, man, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know, am I really there? Romans 8, 15 through 17, he gives the reassurance of the Holy Spirit. He says, so, he uses so and therefore more in this chapter than any other chapter. Because he's connecting everything to him. He's trying to connect the thoughts together. He says, so, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Why would he say that? Because Romans 7 sounded like he was a fearful slave to sin. Because he said, I feel like I'm a slave to sin. He says, you've not received that spirit. Fearful that you'll never overcome that thing. Fearful of all the things of the world. Fearful that you'll give in to something. He says, instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. What you're getting ready to read here is very profound for Jews and Gentiles both. The reason is this language had never been used for Jews before and never would have been used for Gentiles. And what Paul does is he actually talks to both groups about being adopted as children. Because the Jews thought, man, I'm, I, I'm good. Gentiles need to come and, come and, and like, you know, get adopted and grafted. No, 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 no. He brings them together that you're adopted as his own children. And now the, what he uses next, he says, now we call him Abba, Father. He's given you a reassurance because they had never used such intimate language to explain God. Abba was never used in the Old Testament to, rep, to represent God. They didn't call God Father in the Old Testament. Now, the writer of Proverbs would say he is like a father to the, the orphan, but never would they call God Father. No other religion has this language of Abba, meaning Daddy. Meaning Daddy. My son has a reassurance in me as his daddy, right? That's what Paul wants to get across to them, the reassurance. You know, the other day where I was talking to my son, he says, hey, when you tell me that, I just feel like I'm not good enough. In which, I mean, I was correcting him, and he needs to be corrected and helped, and that's what I do. And I said, son, I said, will you just sit down for a second? And he sat down, I said, can I tell you something? I said, you're always good enough. I said, in my eyes, son, you are perfection. I've never met anybody that I love as much as I love you. And I think you are just the most perfect, best little boy in the whole world. Now, he just lit up and felt good about it. The same thing is true with you. That's how God views you. You say, I've, I've let God down. My son can never let me down. Are there times I'm disappointed in his actions and behaviors to others? Oh, yeah, because I want him to be a good human being. The goal in life is just please raise a decent human being. <laughs> I want to raise a world changer. Oh, you go ahead. I, was, I just want a kid to be nice to other people and be a good human being, right? It's <laughs> a decent person. And that's hard as a parent, right? If you raise children, that's, that's like, that, that's hard. But at the end of the day, guys, you have to realize that's how God, that's the reassurance that we have. You're not in jeopardy living in Romans 7 and Romans 8 every day that you can call God Abba. You can bring your most intimate hurts. You can bring your anger to him. You can bring your frustrations to him. You can bring your failures to him. You can come to him, and he's not going to look down upon you. Remember what Paul opened up? He said, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not less condemnation. Not like levels of condemnation. 
And what we have to do when we understand the reassurance of the Holy Spirit that we have Abba Father is, first of all, God doesn't condemn you. The Holy Spirit convicts you and convinces you. Two works, Jesus said in, in, in John 16, the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of, uh, of sin, to convict the world of sin. Conviction's a good thing. It shows you your need for a Savior. But then Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convince you of your righteousness. But never does he condemn you. Never does God wag his finger at you. He will convict you of the sin, but then he'll also in the same breath, if you're a follower of Jesus, convince you of your total right standing with him and that he is your Abba Father. And that's what Paul wanted to get across to the church at Rome is that I want you to, to stop condemning yourself and understand that your father doesn't condemn you. God is not the cosmic sheriff waiting for you to run the stop sign to pull you over and give you a ticket and tell you how worthless of a driver you are. That's not what God, he is your Abba. And so he's showing them the reassurance of the Holy Spirit that we, are, we can have assurance in Christ to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, watch this, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. How beautiful is that? Heirs of God's glory. The, the King of kings and Lord of lords were heirs of his glory. But if we were to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And I shared that verse with you because next week we'll talk about suffering. But today what I want to do as we close is I want to give you this action step. And the action step is this. It's activate a relationship with the Holy Spirit by involving him in everyday life. Activate a relationship with the Holy Spirit by involving Him in everyday life. You know, um, it's kind of like in biology class, you had the, the lecture and the lab, right? The lecture, you learned about the anatomy of the pig or frog. But then you had to go to the lab and do the gross dissecting of it. Oh, I am just, I'm not built for health care and doing those things. If the world was dependent upon me to save you by cutting you open, and, and you, you would just die because I, I couldn't handle doing that in lab. But sometimes lab was fun. I got to blow stuff up and make little concoctions, right? That's, that's the fun stuff. But this is what Paul is sharing. Romans 8 is not just a lecture to tell you that you are heirs and tell you that you're God's children, tell you have the Spirit of God living in you, and tell you you've been released from the. You could shake your head and yes, say, I know all that, Kevin. But if you don't have the laboratory part of this, then you've missed it. If you leave here and don't involve the Holy Spirit in your everyday life, then you've missed it. You'll never see the Romans 8 experience. You'll live only in Romans 7. So how do we involve that, the Holy Spirit, in, in our life? It doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be weird. Doesn't have, you, you know, you're not sitting there like rolling your eyes in your back of your head, oh, Holy Spirit. I mean, there's some weird people out there doing weird things, right, in Christianity. Let's just be, let's just be honest about it. You can be supernaturally natural. And here's what I mean by that. You can ask the Father, Father, I know your Spirit lives within me. You know I struggle with this. I yield myself and I pray for the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to give me power over this situation right now. When you're struggling with something personally, Involve the Holy Spirit when you're angry at somebody, when you're offended and bitter. 
What we do, we just justify our, our stance, our behavior, and we just double down instead of, as a believer, just yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, help me with this. Help me to represent Christ fully. Help me to release these people I'm so angry at. Help me to forgive. Whatever the situation is, involve Him in your everyday life. God doesn't want you just to say little prayers, bless me, bless Him, bless them, amen, but to get down and dirty with the details and say, God, I'm, I'm angry at you for this. Help me overcome this. I need you. That's what the laboratory is, that every day you're doing that. And Paul gives a beautiful illustration of this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He tells the church at Ephesus, he gives them, and you've got to understand the imagery here. He says, do not be drunk with the wine in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And what Paul is doing there is he's showing them two types of ways to be controlled. Remember earlier, he said, don't be controlled by the sinful nature, but controlled by the Spirit. And what he's showing here for them in Ephesus, and they were just overindulging in wine and alcohol, the problem was this. They were being controlled by external things, drinking of wine, external things that affected their behaviors. Now watch this. But he says, but be filled with the Spirit. That, now, that word be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean just get filled with the Holy Spirit one time. Some people teach you to get filled with the Spirit one time, you're good to go. You're good to go. 1974, I got filled with the Spirit, I'm good to go. And that's not what Paul's saying there. There's an imagery and there's a point that he's making that as a believer, we should be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit daily. That word be filled is continuous. If you're a Greek person or if you're, I mean, an English uh, language scholar, it's in perfect tense. It says, be filled and be filled and be filled. Keep being filled daily with the Holy Spirit. And here is the image that he's creating for them. Don't let outward earthly things affect how you behave. Instead, let the Holy Spirit within you affect how you behave. Don't let the pressures and stress of life affect how you behave. But let the Spirit of the living God fill you daily. And what I do, guys, before on Tuesdays as I prepare messages, I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. I just yield myself to the Lord. I take a few moments, say, Lord, fill me, fill me new again. Because I cannot do this without you. I'll struggle. I'll have writer's block. I won't know what to say. I'll, I'll make messages just to impress people and, and, and won't even, you know, get amens from people. I said, God, help me. And that's something simple that I do. Every time I take communion, I ask for the Holy Spirit to fill me, to fill my life so that every interaction I have, I can represent Christ fully. Do you get the picture of that? Don't be consumed with the earthly things of outside. Man, you have the Spirit of God living in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would let us understand the power we have in you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just infiltrate our lives. We give you permission to help us into everyday life. And we will involve you in every decision and everything that we do. And we will not think like the world thinks on earthly things. Thank you, Lord. As we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, whether you're online or here physically. Maybe you walked away from your faith, and today you want that reassurance. If that's you today, 
I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith after me. It's this. I want you to pray this. You really say, God, I admit I'm a sinner and I admit I need a Savior. I confess Jesus as my Lord. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today, I ask for forgiveness of sins. I repent and turn away from this old life. And I receive this new life. I receive the Holy Spirit as a new creation in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys will, put your hands together and celebrate because every week we are seeing people make that decision here at Thrive Church. Amen. It's powerful. And if you will, stand to your feet as we sing this song, The Death Was Arrested. Romans 7 and Romans 8. Death is arrested is Romans 8. You have been free from the law of sin and death and have been now under a new law of God's life-giving spirit. Amen. Let's celebrate and sing this morning together.